Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Colorado Hunting Hub. This podcast is designed to talk about everything hunting in Colorado, whether you're a new hunter, old timer, or something else. Colorado Hunting Hub will have something for you. I'm your host, Clint Whitley, and let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to Colorado Hunting Hub. This episode is going to be with Pat Klotzbach, a buddy of mine from South Dakota Game Fish and Parks. We were interns together uh, and uh, got to know each other that way. And here's my little boy sitting right next to me, yelling and talking and whatever else. And uh, so I apologize for any other disruptions in the audio because he's here and uh, I'm running daddy daycare and he wants to talk in the mic. But real quick, let's uh, make sure you know about our giveaways. Onyx, let's get doing our monthly giveaway. We just gave away the one episode. Still waiting to hear back from him, so I'll give him another day or so, and if not, I'll uh, draw another name. Follow me on Colorado Hunting Hub, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and also big thanks to iHunt Colorado for taking this on and allowing me to advertise to them. Email is clint.a.whitley at gmail.com if you have comments, questions, concerns. I'm on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Podbean wherever you're listening to this now also selling antlers or not selling i'm buying buying antlers um if you're if you got anything to sell i'll buy it and our big giveaway is coming this week i'm releasing this episode uh probably today monday and our other episode this week will release wednesday thursday somewhere in there so we'll uh give away that backpack but here's my buddy pat and some of the good things he's got to say thanks for listening
Pat, I want to thank you for coming on my show, my podcast, and your longtime friend, good buddy. Introduce yourself a little bit. Who are well, you? Where are you from? Clint, thank you so much. When I heard you had this podcast, my uh, my goal was to get on it, and I didn't want a little feature part. I wanted the whole the whole uh, the whole show. So, thanks for having me on, Clint. This is going to be fun. Uh, my name is Pat Klotzbach. I uh, am working for the Game Fishing Parks here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and I do the hunter development section for our department. And I kind of wear a lot of hats with that role, but my main focus is doing hunter safety. Um, and, and hunter education, making sure that the people that are hunting in South Dakota here are hopefully out there ethically hunting and the number one thing safe, being out there safe. And then if they have any questions or concerns or anything, they can contact me and I can get them in the right direction so that we do our residents here in South Dakota, you know, have enough information to get out and hunt, you know, and you did talk about us, you know, way back when we did start as interns, man, I, I look at our picture, I still I have only a few pictures and most of them are my family, but there is that one Polaroid that when we found that camera of you and I, <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I text that to you every once in a while when I see it. And I'm like, I, yeah, maybe Clint needs a little smile today. And I'll just sh send off that Polaroid of uh, you and I, but we, yeah, man, we, we do go way back and we're still kind of in the same, same roles as, as when we first started dang near, well, I started 10 years ago and you started what, what year did you start? 2008. 2009, nine. Yeah. Eight. I started in 2010 yeah. and yeah. And ever since then, I, I've never really wanted to leave. And I feel like where I'm at is a second home, you know, where you come and go, but you're still, you're still part of this family. So it's, it's fun. It's fun reconnecting and being able to have an opportunity to, talk with you and have a good conversation on a podcast like this. So I'm excited, man. Yeah. If you can't tell. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things we decided was, was let's have coffee together. We haven't had coffee yeah. together since we were interns every morning. It's like, you made oh, coffee, yeah. who made the coffee? And then we'd kind of chat about the day and get the, get the plans rolling over some coffee. So it's good to be drinking some coffee, 800 miles apart. <laughs> yeah that's, that's so. funny you bring that up i think you started me drinking coffee you and my my now wife at the time she she we went to a coffee shop and i never used to drink coffee and i was always well what kind of uh creamer or foo-foo stuff can i put in it and all of a sudden here's clint grabbing the folders hey take it or leave it man and <laughs> you don't put that crap in there <laughs> yeah exactly and so i basically from you i uh you just start drinking black coffee and that's how you do it. And I remember one morning, I think we had maybe a little too much and we're sitting there freaking a little jittery, but there was, it was like a blizzard. You remember that morning or something? I don't remember. And you're like, we need to stop drinking all this coffee. You know how my memory yeah. is. I, I'm you, you, for, you remember all these details that. Yeah. I I'm a detail know. guy. Uh, I couldn't tell you what your name is, but I remember your face, but <laughs> the name thing, but no, the coffee thing, man, I, I do enjoy just sitting. We, I don't have that too much in the office anymore um, where we have like just, you know, 15 minute coffee. Hey, what's up? You know, kind of thing, but that's what time, man. You know, those, yep. are the, those are the things that build, build friendships. That's why we're still talking compared to some other people that didn't join our coffee, uh, coffee mornings. No kidding. 12 years. It's been 12 mm -hmm. years. <laughs> and just about every summer we get together and play around to golf or go uh, oh, yeah. 
Yeah. A little pizza ranch, maybe. Whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, I know. I'm going to miss that. I hope the, buff, the pizza ranch buffets open up again because and we used to – yeah, that was our thing. Just go get the buffet, go hit, go play around the golf. We didn't really do a whole lot. We tried fishing a couple times, but it, depends, it all depends CC's, on who that, that third CC's, person is. Yeah, CC's. Yeah, CC's closed, closed the door, so couldn't go there. That didn't work. Well, I was sad because that was our birthday spot, man. If it was your birthday, we're going to CC's. That's just it. And we never went some, to CC's any other time unless it was your birthday. And, and then you had quality to dining. Didn't, didn't the college kids in USF, didn't you guys get like a $4 buffet? Wasn't yeah. it like really like crazy cheap? It's like no wonder this pizza's uh okay because you guys are literally eating for free anyways. So Yep. I just had to that throw was... my ID out there. Yeah, but those are oh. hey man, that's why those are you always remember those things and that's what uh keeps friendships going and you just build upon little things like that, and that's what's fun about stuff. Yeah. So what was your uh progression from kind of getting in and you mentioned intern but getting into uh your current position i do want to kind of clarify because every state agency is named something just a little bit different and it's always that's always a learning curve for some people because they live in one state their entire life ours is called colorado parks and wildlife cpw it used to be yep. called DOW, Division of Wildlife, until they did a merger with parks, which many states yep. have done different mergers. And South Dakota's is called South Dakota Game, Fish, and Parks. So yep. that's the state agency that, that manages wildlife. So kind of walk me through some of the progression of what you did. Okay. Um, so one thing that South Dakota, at least in our Game, Fish, and Parks world, is the internships are... I mean, you did a, how many internships did you do in our department? You just kept signing on. So let's just say you were, you know, they go by like semester. So every half year you, you sign another one. Um, but anyways, the internships in South Dakota, at least in our department are wonderful. The, the things you get to do in our department, you, you can't even believe. And so when I started being an intern and finding out I can get paid to help or teach people how to fish or teach people how to shoot. You know, I was like, oh my goodness gracious, this is not, this isn't real. And then the internship summer started and, you know, that's, it went so fast because we were so busy doing stuff that we really actually enjoyed doing. And that's where I kind of found out, you know what, this is what I kind of want to do for a a living. Um, I tried, my internship was ending and, and the only way to keep it going for me was to get a, to go back to school. So I did go back to school to get a master's degree which I need to finish. I got to do some, I I just have my student teaching left, but at that time, a full-time job opened and it was the outreach coordinator for our region. Um, So what the outreach coordinator did was go around to all these smaller communities and set up like one day try it days where you can come and learn how to do archery, animal identification, depending on the location, we can shoot shotguns or 22s or that kind of thing. And it was more or less get out of your house and come learn something. All right. And it was also put a, you know, we have a lot of conservation officers in these smaller communities and it was to put a face to them. A lot of, we, we get a lot of new conservation officers and if they're not outgoing, then the community doesn't know them. So part of helping them out, at least in my eyes was to, Hey, let's hold like a half day little event. You'd be the face of it. I'll just be in the background. You talk to everybody go around and do that. So 
we built a step out. We called it the step outside program. When I started, I believe it was an internship that that did it. And they did maybe 10 or so programs a year. But when I took it over, we started doing a program almost every single night for the whole summer. Um, and so that just started really taking my career to the next level. I was like, all right, how can I make this in a bigger, you know, instead of just our small little community, how can I broaden it and make sure, you know, our citizens of South Dakota, our residents are able to take, you know, take advantage of the, the, the great outdoors we have here. Um, and so we did a little reconstruction in our agency once that R3 program started taking off. We hired an R3 coordinator and opened the door for the hunter development world. And I put my name in the hat and I've been been doing the hunter development since 2015 here in South Dakota. And the learning curve at the beginning was real steep, but I had a great, you know, part of my working with everybody for so long, I had great relationships with the, the federal aid coordinators, you know, the outdoor campus directors, um, almost all the CEOs in the state. So the transition to the hunter education world was pretty easy for me. I just had to learn how to do the grants and make sure I was doing everything that the federal government, you know, when they give us the money, I wasn't spending it wrong. But my main goal, and to this day, my main goal is that if we get federal money, I want to put it back into our state so that all citizens and all residents, whether you're a hunter or fisher or just a, you know, maybe just getting out to try something has that opportunity here, you know, of course, free, not having to pay to do it, but free to try it. And so my goal, you know, to this day is to make sure that our, our residents are doing it, you know, ethically, safely, have an opportunity for free to do it. And then just having an opportunity to learn a new, new experience, get out away from the computer, get out away from all this uh, the news, what's going on and getting out back to nature out in the middle of nowhere where maybe your cell phone doesn't work and you can just like sit and just pretend, I don't know, your imagination goes, goes wild when that happens. Yeah. So. And when you say federal money, you're talking yep. about like Pittman Robertson, yep. Dingle Johnson, like yep. months, correct? Yeah. Okay. So in our state, we have two. So I have, I do the hunter development and we also have my, my coworker, my uh, Maggie Lindsay is my, is basically the same level, the same exact world that I live in, except she's in the fish world. So she does the Dingle Johnson monies and I do the Pittman Roberts dollars. And so, you know, South Dakota is not as big as like Colorado or, or, you know, a lot of the other States, but we, we do get a fair amount of money here. And I make, I, I just make sure dang well that I put that back into our communities to, you know, update some of that equipment and stuff and and our i know our fish our fishing education is on the same page as i am with updating uh everything making it so our residents are able to go and and try this stuff um i just she just maybe has a different world than i do and i we, we do cross path but yeah if if the fish world's there i help out and if she needs help on the the hunter ed world we all help out we're just a big team but yeah we we just have two different roles for our federal government monies. Yeah. And uh, that you talked about the intern mm -hmm. stuff, man, that was, that was awesome. I, yeah. I can't even, I mean, <laughs> we talk about, I mean, I the, just, the, yeah, just not just the memories that it created and the, the, the fun really we had doing that, but then kind of the jump start to our careers. 
I mean, you look what you're doing. Right. I'm doing. I keep saying, no matter where I go, outdoor education keeps slapping me in the face. I mean, yeah, I, I, I came to a completely new area, started teaching science, and then the first thing they say is, "Hey, start an outdoor club." It's like, okay, I'll, outdoor club with a high school of 300 kids. I mean, that's not anything big. And then, oh, hey, here's this grant opportunity. Start working with this, and we're going to write a big old grant to for multiple communities. Now you're the outdoor ed coordinator. And that just keeps coming around and it's just something I can't get away from now. And it's that intern position literally created all kinds of avenues for me. And the, uh, the other things I learned got the, the pieces that, uh, were not intended in that position, but being able to jump in with like the fisheries biologist. And I, I went and did a few, few uh electro fishing trips with some biologists went and did some some hoop netting some uh you do a ride along uh, i didn't i didn't i almost got to go with john Cantor to go catch some mountain lions oh nice but, uh, i got so close but they had to cancel it last minute because that's so like weather dependent and some different things so the dogs can can run them but well uh, yeah, and, and you know what's weird too is like so I live on the east side of the state where I look out my window and it's flatter than flat. Okay. But in South Dakota, you just drive, you know, 300 and some miles, 400 miles, and you're in a whole different freaking territory. And it's so unique. And that's cool too. And like you said, the mountain lion and Canta doing that, we don't get that too often on my side of uh, stuff, but I, I think they get that quite a bit out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. My dad yeah, swears. He, my dad texted me uh, the other day and he said, he swear he's sitting there drinking his coffee and he lives just west of Sioux Falls, he said, I swear I saw a mountain lion. It was about 600 yards out there. He said, I swear I did. <laughs> oh, yeah, we hear. It's and possible. Then, like, it's right, oh, right yeah, there. and especially in the springtime like this when they're, you know, those mountain lions have a territory, and if you're in it, they're not, they don't want you in it. So they kind of just follow that river. I'm, I'm pretty sure they follow, like, the James and the Missouri, and then they, all of a sudden, they're here in Sioux Falls, hanging out at Falls yeah. Park, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, Think about, the, so think about your internship real quick. Remember how shy we were at the beginning? Like I look at one of the biggest things I take out of my internship is public speaking, being able to speak in front of people. I, I think that's why we get in our positions that right. we're in. Clint. It's like, okay, Clint knows how to explain how to shoot a bow and arrow way better than I do. Golly, man. You know, those are the things I, I look back and think, Maybe we're not the professionals, but we're way better than a lot of people on some stuff. Um, and I look at that and I'm like, those are those experiences teaching, you know, how many fishing classes in a summer, 200. I, I look back and like 250 fishing classes, two hour nothing fishing will, classes. Nothing will teach you, teach you patience than running that number of kids through fishing programs and hearing, I need more bait. I need more bait. I need more bait. And, without yeah and I believe without I skipping yeah. a beat and keeping up beat and having that positive attitude over that that teaches you patience and i think about that all the time and now raising a, a little kid i think about that with my kid yep. and how yeah. all right i'm gonna awesome. just have that expectation of my pole gets set aside and I am focused solely on him and I know what's going to come. I know the messes that are going to come. Yeah. I know to have extra rods and I know to have the worms to dig in and the, that what to patience. do when the fish are biting. 
you know? yeah. Yeah. The grass, exactly. the, the grasshopper walk. You remember that one? Remember when we were catching grasshoppers out there with that butterfly net and then you guys oh, couldn't yeah. catch them? And then I trailed yeah. you guys the grasshopper walk and all of a sudden we were catching oh grasshoppers. Oh my gosh, like, yeah. You remember, now you remember the grasshopper walk. <laughs> See? Yeah. You, you put your put your uh, toes out away yep. and you just kind of shuffled your feet you so put, then you, you kick them up a little bit in the prairie so you can do Right. It. You keep your heels together. Yep. You keep your heels together. You make as much <laughs> surface on your legs as possible so that when they hit them, they jump on your legs, grab them off your leg, throw them in the butterfly net. Mm. And I, I caught more in one pass than you and, you and uh, I think it was Andy, out there for 45 minutes. And I'm like, guys, you guys obviously aren't one with nature you got to do the grasshopper walk (laughs) hey but those are the little things that when you're working with kids and you teach them something stupid like that oh that now they're all walking all dumb uh, kind of goofy and (laughs) trying to try to kick up and you make that fun you have you absolutely make that fun instead of just let's go catch some grasshoppers maybe catch one or two yeah because you know the pond back here the fish bite all the time but you know when they don't bite they're not going to bite and you're like oh crap we got two hours and no biting all right let's do some cricket walks let's do some tadpole searching you know we'll throw a pole in but you you almost teach them fishing and then you kind of try to keep their attention span without like trying to give them i hate to here have a medal you casted a rod here have a have a medal you did great no the fish aren't biting, so instead of getting bored looking for, let's let's keep this going. Let's let's. Oh, there's tadpoles in here. That's crazy. Oh, what are these circles in here? Oh, those are the bluegills making their nests. Those kinds of things are what I like to uh, to elaborate on when we're out fishing. You know, it's not all about fishing. We gotta learn about the the ecosystem and whatever else is around here. And if kids don't learn that, I feel like then they take fishing for granted. It's like, oh, we just caught a fish and I got a gummy worm. Okay. Yeah, the I was literally just talking to uh, my superintendent about this the other day, uh, and he, uh, we were talking about measuring outcomes and these sorts of things, so we can justify different programs. And yeah, I could I could list some outcomes for a program like a fishing program, but just because a kid kid catches a fish or he is happier or connecting with nature or whatever, what I think the outcome is, the outcome may be actually something completely different because right. little Johnny's going to connect with nature in a totally different way. And you had a fishing program, but the one thing he is going to tell his mom, dad, grandpa, brother, cousin, when he gets home is that there was a snapping turtle and he mm-hmm. saw that snapping turtle come up to the top of the surface and, and, uh, it was so big and, and I can't believe that thing was under the water, blah, blah, blah. And, and he connected in that way, something that yeah. was completely unforeseen and you just don't know how they're going to connect. So having those opportunities and, and understanding that ability to, for someone. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com.
uh, kids not going to connect the way you think you're going to they're going to connect so the oh. or they they may may not even take anything until years later uh or they just remember something in it and they come back to it like I would, uh i, yeah, I still I remember my fourth grade camping trip the <laughs> <laughs> in school the, the all those other little things that that compile and have created this long lifelong learning for me and desire to be in the outdoors i can't say there's one event that got me into the outdoors it was continuous things with going fishing with my grandpa Mm -hmm. once a year things going uh hunting with my my family and then it created this lifelong living of work and play in the outdoors and a podcast for the fun see i got a uh yeah, podcast. I mean, the podcast world, I love the podcast. I think this is unique. I think the podcast world is uh, really what's going to start taking off again, too. Um, but my my getting in the outdoors is a little different than yours. You know, I I basically got a driver's license. And as soon as I got a driver's license is when I started doing, I, I really started going fishing a lot. When I was younger, um, my parents were separated. So my my stepdad at the time had a fishing boat. And I was only, I only got lucky to go every once in a while, but that hooked me to go. And I, you know, catching that first fish, you're like, holy crap, this is awesome. And so once I got my driver's license, then I was going all over doing the fishing thing. You know, I never even thought about the hunting world until really working at the outdoor campus, watching you and Derek. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you guys are crazy. And then now looking back where I'm at, I just went out and set up tree stands and we're what, June 1, you know? Um, in these spots, I'm like, okay, we got, you know, where my trackings come and I'm just getting into archery this year. So I just got a, a new bow. Um, nice. What'd you get? Yeah. Um, I got a Matthews Helon six. Oh, nice. Yeah. I got it from one of the conservation officers here. He, he drew an elk tag and he goes, if I draw an elk tag, I'm going to update my bow. Well, lo and behold, he drew an archery elk tag. So I get the benefit of getting a half price bow, I suppose. Um, but the cool thing about my world here, I set up archery ranges around my area and I know the ones that get used and the ones that don't get used that much. So I'm going to hopefully become a pretty proficient archery hunter by the time archery season rolls around, just because I'm taking advantage of the stuff that I set up in my, for hunter development for the citizens, you know, the residents of South Dakota, and I'm going to go out and do it. I'm going to go out and shoot, shoot bow out and, uh, out in one of our uh, game production areas or one of in our um, um, state parks that I've, we've set up these archery ranges and nice. I'm excited. Man. Get after it. Get after I'm it. Fine. I mean, that's, that's one of my passions is, is shooting my, my bow and I've got a, a range right outside my front door, about 20 yards out my front door. And I shoot as much as I can. And I should be, and right now it should be starting daily because i got some archery tournaments coming up but that's that's you're gonna love that i started doing i started doing push-ups i don't do push-ups clint i started doing (laughs) push-ups i started doing everything man because like it's set for like between so i want to set it at like you know 60 to 70 or whatever and i pull it back i'm like oh my gosh all right so i'll practice for maybe one arrow every other five minutes or something because i'm weak you know so I'm trying to get that. Muscles. I'm trying to get that. Uh, I can run forever, Clint. You know me, man. I can go forever, <laughs> but <laughs> I uh, got to get uh, that. 
that, that core that body strength up. Yeah, I know you hold some records for your uh, four by four or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, I got some state records for running, and then I, I mean, <laughs> I'm a pretty dang good cross country skier too. So, no <laughs> records on that one yet, but that's a whole nother. See, uh, see the cross country skiing world. That's a whole nother world. They're they're hoity toity, man. You got to have all this nice equipment. You got to have these skis that you know skate ski whatever. We worked with that intern who thought. You know, he, he thought he was a professional cross-country skier. And here I come out with like a pair of youth skis and I'm freaking flying. <laughs> but it's not the correct uh, technique or style. So I look silly and I'm not right. You know what? That, that's why that goes, we called it. That's why we called your technique the roadrunner. The roadrunner, man. And it worked, right? So that getting back, <laughs> that's getting back to the hunting thing a little bit and fishing thing. There really is, as long as you're doing it safe and ethically, Clint, really learn from your mistakes or hey cast out a color you know they make so many different colors of fishing lures why because who knows what's going to catch that's why you got to keep casting and 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 there's no real way of of doing things um one of the co-workers one of my good friend co-workers he he said his style of hunting and fishing is machiavellian and so i had to look that up and what that means is he's got his own style. And if you tell him it's wrong, he's going to basically just not even listen to you because it works for him. It's working for him. You know, he never, he, it just, he never put on the Sitka jacket and all of a sudden he's shooting uh 350 yards at a, at a bull elk that's state record, you know? No, he was doing his own thing, which that's, that's, I love that. You know, you, I never you, heard that before. And I think that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I think, uh, like, I've, yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of stuff, but I've never heard that one. That's yeah. kind of cool. It is kind of cool. And, you know, he's a, he was a big fly fisherman. And the fly fisherman, you know, you're a fly fisherman. I went to fly fishing in the schools. That's about as much fly fishing as I've done in my, my world. But anyways, I was doing it my way, and apparently that was wrong. Do you remember that way back when, when we did the fly fishing in the schools training? Oh, yeah. Yep, yeah. I remember that. You were right. You were doing it perfect, man. You were like the star student. Everybody was like, hey, stop and look at Clint. And here he is. He looks like he's down. What's that movie called? Uh, River Runs Through It. Yeah, you look like Bracket <laughs> or whatever. River Runs Through It. And here I look like the guy The guy that's uh, just found on the side of the road looking for something to do. And I'm sitting here twisting it around. And she comes up to me. That's not how you do it. I go, I caught just as many things as he caught on the gym floor. How is mine wrong compared to yours, you know? And I think that's where we kind of run into some problems or, or shut some people away. It's like, you have to cast this way. Why? You're casting in the water, same spot as me, you know. As long as you do it safe. Safe is the main thing I always have to stress because I do see a lot of it. The main, you know, I see a lot of unsafe. In my world, just in my world, seeing the hunting incident reports and those kinds of things, I see the little things that turn into the the real tragedies. It's the little teeny, teeny things like you quit caring or you quit. You, you start getting relaxed on some of your safety that you that, you know, you know, always do. But for some reason today, you just, you know, went back and that was it. So I'm all for doing to- it your way as long as you're safe and you're always ethical. Nothing worse than than getting reports of, of maybe participants that I've worked with or families or whatever saying, well, Johnny went out and we caught him spotlighting raccoons. 
oh, great. Well, guess who taught him how to shoot a 22? <laughs> you know, that's know. the worst part about things. That's the and stuff I, that I, I don't like. But those are I want to so, get into that. I want to get yeah. into that just, just a sec, but I wanted to touch on something you said. So I just got the opportunity to float the river on a drift boat with a professional fishing guide. I've lived in Colorado eight years, done a lot of fly fishing. Uh, I've been fly fishing since I was middle school, but I've never really had anybody teach me that Mm -hmm. I know is a, uh, like is good, 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 good at it. I've never had anyone critique me. I've never, I've only read like, was it Lefty Cray or something like one of those old timer fly fishermen's and, uh, John Gearish books and all these different things. And I'm watching videos or doing the, and I just taught myself. And so I went on a boat and I learned more in a five hour float trip with somebody that seriously knew this stretch of river. They knew it so well. And he, as we're going by on these little spots, he said, see the drop off, see the bubble line, see that, see that hit right there, right there. It was intense and it was so much fun. And I caught a crap load of fish and a serious amount of big fish, all that 17, 18, 19 inch rainbows, cut bows and some Browns. It was so much fun being able to learn from him and being able to figure out how to read a river. I had no idea. I always knew, oh, edges, edges here. That's where the fish is or whatever. But man, I couldn't believe what I had learned. And the, uh, and I don't know what, what, what you said there that made me think of that. But, um, the other thing that I thought about when you were talking was the, some of the equity in the outdoors pieces, that's something we Mm -hmm. deal with big in Colorado as uh taking a diverse population and getting some different ethnicities outdoor and doing some different things and that's always a topic i've struggled with in a different way just because uh if you want to get outdoors just go out and do it and because i've i've been so self-taught in a lot of different things i grew up hunting but and that and that was that one thing that that was my invitation and that brought me into the outdoors and i I was taught how to deer hunt, but when I decided I wanted to become a trapper, I kind of taught myself and I wanted to be a duck hunter. I taught myself uh, a fly fisherman. I taught myself and the list goes on with a bunch of things. First day at the time I went antelope hunting, man, I was just walking around the prairie like an idiot. <laughs> and, uh, if, if I had, and there's that, yeah, that the outdoors is not. And I think that's a perfect thing to, the mention in a time like this, the, the outdoors is not, there's no, there's no bouncer on who can go and who can't go. I mean, it's open and and non-discriminatory. You can, it doesn't matter what color you are. You can be outside and it's a a generally safe place. I liked your line. You went outside and walked around like an idiot. That is, yeah. that's, I swear if I, you know, I have a GoPro now cause I'm trying to get into like, I started, you know, the YouTube channels. I don't want to make a YouTube channel. It's like, here's how you clean a gun. All right. Well, if I really wanted to do that, there's 5 million people that are doing that. All right. I wanted to go a different, a different way. Um, 
me just getting into archery hunting, setting up tree stands, I'm doing this on my own. Yes, I've, I've learned from you and, and Derek and a few other people. You guys aren't always going to be there with me. All right. You're, I don't want to say, Hey Clint, can you take me to, can you take me to our tree stand today and hold my hand? No, that's, that's not, you know, I want to be a self-starter. So I wish I had my camera on the other day when I was walking around, like you said, just, just walking around, taking it all in. You know, we went to a, a spot by the Missouri river in, in Yankton. Um, we knew about it in, in school. We never went down there. We always thought, Oh, whatever. I went in there yesterday and I could not believe where I was at, that I was actually here in Sioux Falls or in um, South Dakota and like just looking up at the cottonwoods and not seeing road and not seeing cornfield and then looking over and seeing the river and just like, these are the things that are the best part about it. And all of us, we went at like seven in the morning and by one o'clock or so we had our, you know, all of our stands up, we were putting cameras and it's one o'clock. I'm like, Oh my gosh, guys, I feel like we just got here, you know? That's the best part is how fast time goes because you know, it's like when you were a kid, you know, when you're enjoying something when you were a kid and all of a sudden now, now you are, um, sorry, Derek just stopped at my office. It's his first day back in the office. So he's pretty excited. Um, but now when you're, you're an adult and time flies like that because you're having fun. Holy buckets, man. Your imagination. My imagination was just flying when I was setting these tree stands up last the other day. Cause I never really got doing that like archery cheese stands where we're where we're uh strapping in and we're putting stands in and we're climbing high you know i'm like geez this is fun this is cool this is this is what it's all about you know um and learning that's on your why, own that's why learning I like, on your I, own yeah i don't like being i don't like being rushed sometimes in the outdoors mm-hmm. yeah i gotta get home take care of the kid i gotta get back home because it's not just to go out and fill the tag but when i yep. don't have a time I got to be back by. That's when I think I have the greatest connection with what I'm doing is because I here I was like, I just sit down. I just sit down, bust yep. out the binos and I'm going to look and I'm going to listen. Yep. I can just go and for a hike. Yeah. And getting rid of some of that pressure of I got to fill a tag, got to fill a tag, got to fill a tag, I think is going to make me a better hunter because I can slow my patience down. Ultimately, filling more tags <laughs> exactly. and just trying to enjoy it some more. I think that's going to make me a better hunter. And I think a, a phase that I'm going into last year, I didn't even shoot a deer and uh, your buddy Derek that just knocked on the door, gave me crap for it. <laughs> hey man, uh, you know, but I wish, I wish the people on this podcast could have Derek on the side. It would be really fast because you know him. He's, he's quick. He's fast. He gets to the point and he's out. That's him. I wish yep. I could just meet this guy. He's one of the better hunters in the, the whole state. And, but he is, I mean, he learned it. I, I'm sure he probably learned it from his hands on, but he's, like I said, Machiavellian, it's his way. So you have to, to if you're hunting with him, you're going his way fast, yep. hard, not stopping. We're going, um, yep. where and- I like my style a little bit. Okay. I like to do the fast and let's go and let's hunt hard. But man, just sitting in that tree stand, I didn't even have a bow or anything last night, uh, yesterday morning, just sitting there for like a half hour. Like, I can't wait. I've never yeah. archery hunted, but I can't wait. Like, that's well, something like awesome. Put, I got my Onyx. I like look at my Onyx all the time thinking my freaking tree stands are going to move or something or my uh, cameras are going to move. No, I'm just looking, trying to get myself, a, you know, a 
so I know the map. So, hey, can I come in this way if they're bedded down here? Um, hey, could I get a boat on the Missouri if we get a deer? Can I get the boat, just throw it, throw it off the edge and then put it in the boat and take it to a boat launch instead of trying to hike it out? Those are the things I'm thinking about trying to, I don't know. It's, it's fun. Yeah. It's cool. It's, it's different. You know, no one's telling you, no, no one's telling you that's wrong. You can't do it like that. Why? Yeah. If I, Imagine. if I don't get a deer here, then I'll just move a little bit and try a new technique. It's you, you, the people that are going to fill the tags are the ones that I believe are, they kind of cause the problems sometimes because they want the deer right there in front of them on their tree stand when they get there at three o'clock in the afternoon. That's just not how it works, you know? Um, right. And they're missing some of the opportunities, some of the the other things that they're getting out of it. And that was last year when I didn't fill a tag. Yeah. I saw deer. I didn't see the number or quality of deer that I was looking for, but I passed on five bucks, mainly because they were just little forkies, little uh, little three-by-three three muley. Just, they were small. And I was looking mm-hmm. for a mature deer. That was my goal. I want a mature deer. If that's a big old rack, what great, whatever. Uh, but I just pass on a, a bunch of things and the season ended and I was fine with that. Yeah. And, and I was, I was, I was fine with it. I mean, I wish I had just a little bit more meat in my freezer uh, for this year. Cause I just have a, a mountain goat and a small cow elk, but uh, which I made some sausage last night, which is pretty good. Uh, but yeah, well, I took and made uh, some goose sausage, all breakfast sausage, goose, mountain goat, and some elk sausage. So I got a, a whole bunch of that. I got to, I'm excited to try. But with your with your archery, I mean, mm-hmm. sitting in a tree stand is awesome and great. Just wait till the day you and I are out here in Colorado archery elk hunting. That's gonna, you're gonna wet well, yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping I want to get proficient enough to be able to feel confident cuz like archery hunting a deer, I, I mean as far as I know, archery hunting a deer is a little bit different than archery hunting an elk, you know. I don't I want to be ethical and I want to take a clean shot. I just don't want to buy a bow this summer, not practice and just go out and do that. I want if I'm going with you Clint and, and going with anybody, I want to be the best prepared I can be out there when I'm doing it so that Hey, when we're hunting together, you don't have to worry about me learning how to shoot. And I don't have to worry about you learning to shoot, but we're out there safely doing it, having a good time. And it's, it's a lot of it more is after the hunt, hanging out, getting back to the camp and talking, um, reconnecting with each other. Cause you know, we won't, we haven't seen each other face to face because of this COVID thing, but even because it, even if this COVID wasn't here, we still probably wouldn't see each other face to face. Cause you're, you know, a thousand miles away. But when we see each other to to go to a hunting camp and make breakfast, make that goat sausage that you were talking about, and just it's like a whole different world that you almost don't want everybody to know that we we have this going for us. It's fun, it's cool, it's different, you know, it's social media is that- not there. There's no one telling you, hey Clint, your camo doesn't look your camo is old. What? Like you can't wear blue jeans to hunt in. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing, man. You, you you look at all these like products and it's you know, if you're not that's, wearing this if you're not wearing this brand of camel, you're not a hunter. What? That's a that's a trap you can get in. An absolute Terrible. trap you can get in. And and I I I've admitted on this podcast that I've 
dove down into that a little bit. But when mm-hmm. we do our, uh, we'll have a little uh, series pre uh, preseason just to talk about some gear lists and that sort of yep. thing. What you need and what you really, really don't need. It's mm-hmm. just comforts. And, and the episode that's going to be published right after this one, this one's going to be episode 19. That one's a- episode 20 with Mark from Exo Mountain Gear Backpacks. Oh, cool. That's a six, $600 backpack. Oh. And yeah. it's insane. I have one and it's great and it's wonderful. But I also hunted with uh, a hand-me-down that I got from someone from the outdoor campus. I got it from Mark and when he sold me. Remember, he sold us a bunch of stuff. And, or oh, hand, yeah. I still wear half that stuff. Oh, yeah. I had a $10 Gregory internal frame backpack that was meant for backpacking. I yep. packed out bears and elk and deer and all kinds of things with that thing. <laughs> and It uh, worked. It worked. It worked fine. Now the only reason what? I went and got the other stuff was just because I had an opportunity to get it. Sure, why not? I'll, I'll increase my comforts a little bit. Yep. But that was it's kind of you could add add some of that as too as a progression in your hunting of yeah, I'll pick up an extra piece of gear to make it a little easier. I'll pick up just to increase comforts. But I, I I see it every day, Clint. Um, so I have a good working relationship with our um, outdoor outdoor one of our outdoor. Um, uh, shops here. And I see it every day, man. When I go up there, you know, to become a hunter, there's like some, there's, when I sit in these conferences or I sit on the phone with, you know, all the States, there's like a, uh, there's something out there that says, you know, getting a hunter is very expensive. Starting a hunter is very expensive. Why? Well, because you got all these people that are having a vested interest in, in you to become a hunter. They want you wearing their clothes. They want you wearing all this. And like you just said, what's the difference between a $10 game bag that you got from a hand-me-down versus a $600 Mystic Mountain or whatever? What's the new new one? Mystic Ranch game bags. Those kinds of things. It's like Mystery Ranch. Yeah, Mystery Ranch. It's like, what's the difference? Really? You, You tear it apart. What's really the difference? But then you come to really find out, okay, their product is really for packing out gear all right, I probably should buy that eventually um, because my back isn't, I'm not getting younger. My kids are going to start coming with me. So eventually it's not going to just maybe be my deer. It might be my deer and my kids deer as long. That's along for the ride. And you're like, Oh my goodness. I'm going to be taking talk 20 of, trips. Talk about uh, uh, cost of some of that stuff. I was, you, you would have died laughing because last year access to a little piece of private along the Colorado and there's my dad had called an elk over to the uh, there's an island in kind of the middle of the river and he'd called this elk over to the edge a couple of times in previous nights and I was like dad let's just go over to the island so I grabbed a kayak and the only kayak I could get a hold of was a whitewater kayak on the Colorado and I I loaded I loaded my uh my bow, my pack, all this. And I started going and I was so top heavy in this little short kayak and my knees couldn't get down in it because I'm too big. And <laughs> I, that was the sketchiest thing I think I've done in a long time. And I was so nervous. And then I just started thinking, oh my gosh, I have $4,000 worth of gear on me right now. Not <laughs> to mention, was it a cold out? Oh, Did I would have been your... It was did, September. No, but... But did you have all your like warm weather gear? So if you t- 
tip the kayak, you're going to be like, oh, great. Oh, it's September. You know, it was, oh. it, it would have sucked. But on the way back, actually, I waited and it got, it got up to about waist high and that was sketchy too coming back. But just a, just that like, oh my gosh, I have way too much money into the, all this and gear. You know what's funny though? You brought up that whitewater kayak. I was teaching. So part of my job too, I, I assist with special events and we have an event here in South Dakota called, called Becoming an Outdoor Woman. And I believe that you helped with that. Did you help with that somewhere in your internship career? Yeah, we did. Uh, we did one in Custer. Yeah, yeah. So we do. They're 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 really unique and fun. So basically, the the short what the program is, you take. Um, it's become an outdoor woman. So we try to get ladies that are you know never been in the outdoors with you know outdoor ed stuff, or and then we also get a handful of people that just want to learn something new. Well. We did a kayak fishing, and sometimes when we're doing these things, our equipment is just not quite the best. You know, we just don't have the best things to use for this stuff. But we do, we use what we can. Like you just said, you had a whitewater kayak and you try to make it work. I know exactly what you did. So, all these ladies, it's early, it's like eight in the morning on in September. It's a little chilly up in the hills, and they're like, if we fall in, what's going to happen? I go, no one's going to fall in, guys. I've done this for five years. No one's going to fall in. We're good. I had the biggest group of the of the whole weekend for me and like literally we were okay if we had 10 but we had 15 and we had to start using these whitewater kayaks. I fell in in a whitewater kayak and I still to this day that was probably 5 years ago still to this day people make fun of me because I was the instructor who fell in the water the only one ever to fall in <laughs> but I was wearing the, that I had that stupid whitewater kayak where my knees didn't fit under it um top heavy like if you made one sudden move, you're flipping, and I did. Um, but that's funny. You learn from that, though, Clint. I I, oh, I yeah. still remember it. I learned yeah. from it. I'm not going to oh, die. Yeah. My kayak's not going to sink to the floor. I can rest on it and eventually figure out how to get it out. But you're not going to, you know. Those are the things that I feel you build upon. You know, you're not. You fall in the water in a kayak. You're not going to die. When you take and a you new person what? out in a kayak, they think they're going to fall in the kayak and they're going to get stuck in it and they're not going to move out of it. So trying to explain that stuff. And the worst thing about it, the elk weren't even on the island. (laughs) (laughs) So I did all that and they weren't even there. So I just wasted an evening hunt that, yeah. So we, I I suppose we never would have had that opportunity to try that. Like I know. And I've told that story a dozen times. Yeah. Being able to have that story to say, Hey, I tried it and failed, but I tried it. Who cares? A waste of the night. Well, you got tomorrow night, you know? Unless it's the and end I'll, of the season. Those are some of my most memorable stories. And I'll, I say this all the time is that sometimes when you are, it is the most miserable, the worst, the most sketchy. Those are some of your best memories in this, the stories you're going to share. And I did that. Oh, I'd, yeah. I'd rather uh, hunt on a terrible day. Yeah. Derek in, in your office there, he, he and I went on a pheasant hunt in a blizzard and we walked down a, fence line that was the snow was waist deep and we're post hole and digging through there i was having a hard time and derek's like five foot one <laughs> he has no surface there's no he has nothing I no surface tension yeah. i mean he, can, he doesn't even wear snowshoes when he's out because he's got his feet are like i think he's got where's the size six shoe or something <laughs> and we're we walked to the end of this thing and it's like there's no birds they're all tucked up into the brush it's like this is stupid but yet now i'm laughing about it 
because we went out and did it. I am that one that I will go hunting. I will go out. I don't care what the conditions are. I don't care if it's too hot, too cold, too rainy, whatever. I did a dumb pheasant hunt in Iowa this year when it was freezing rain and the birds are staying tucked in there, but I was having time in my life. Hunting buddies were kind of complaining a little bit and whining. Oh, you should have been here yesterday. You should have been here yesterday. It was much better. It's like, I'm having time in my life. <laughs> it's fine. And you're not just cold fine. because you know what's going to happen. You're like, okay, well, I just got to dress for the weather. That's easy. Yeah. Hey, I want to uh, bring up, ask you something that, that uh, you started talking about, and it's yep. kind of the doom and gloom, but I think it's very important to talk about. It's just some of the most common hunting incidents that yeah. you've seen so that we okay. all can learn from some of those. What what have you been seeing, and how are they happening? So, yeah, so in our state, Clint, um, we, we're, we're different compared to a lot of other states. You know, we have the pheasants, the pheasant hunting season here. And everybody, and I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm crossing fingers, crossing toes that people come and hunt in South Dakota this, this fall, all right? Uh, we do rely a lot of on our non-resident hunters to come in here and take part in something that I wish – you know, at, during the pheasant season, sometimes, Clint, I wish I didn't live in South Dakota so I can experience, so I can come to South Dakota, experience the pheasant hunt, experience everything. Right, because that, right? was, that was something we just did when we got bored, was go pheasant yeah, hunting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> residents. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, when we worked at the, when we worked for the department and trying to get people to go out and hunt, you know, sometimes the last thing you wanted to really do was go out and hunt yourself, which that that comes with in this world you kind of have to figure out how to balance that right you've you probably figured it out in your life but the new people who come into the hunter ed world the number one thing i would say if you're new figure out that life and work balance where you want to still go fishing but because you taught all day long on fishing you know you got to find that balance but that's not what we're talking about here but anyways the hunting incidents so uh, to be classified as a hunting incident in our state, you have to be in the act of it, out hunting, whether that's private land, public land, at a resort, um, anything. You can; those are considered hunting incidents. And if you if you uh, have a heart attack, if you have something that happens, those are classified. So you know we do get the occasional hunter that goes out who's who's elderly who actually probably shouldn't be walking the fields like he does, but he'll actually have a heart attack. So that's considered one of our incidents. But our most common thing that we do see is that swinging on game is that swinging on game. When, when we get new residents or when we get new hunters or when we get people who, who come to South Dakota to hunt one time a year, it's like catching your first fish. You get so excited. You're like, Oh my goodness, there's a fish. I caught it. Yes. Awesome. But somewhere down the line, you forget that your fish has a, your fishing hook you have a weight on there. You might have someone standing right next to you. You just get so excited, all right? So you take that into the pheasant world, and you're on a line. Most of the time, if you're pheasant hunting in a resort here in South Dakota, you're on a line with 10, 10 people or so, all right? And a lot of the birds, if you have never been bird hunting, birds just don't fly out in front of you, perfect height, where you should shoot them. They don't do that, all right? Sometimes a bird will come up and fly behind you, fly onto the left or right. But the main thing is you got to stay in your zone of fire. The main thing is swinging on game. I, I, you don't, we don't get a, thank goodness. We don't get the fatalities that we do from swinging on game, but we do get some pretty gnarly 
incidents from that. And a lot of these incidents that I see can be avoided, you know, if you wear safety glasses, you know, you might look people, like I said earlier, if you don't look the part of a hunter, people make fun of you, get over that. You got to get over that. Wear the safety glasses because if I see them, I see the, I see the incidents, I see the pictures and, and, you know, you get a pellet in your cheek. Okay. That's not going to, I mean, it hurts. It's terrible. Whatever you get a pellet in your eye that potentially is going to be the end of your hunting career or your job or whatever you got to take it into that. So the swinging on game is one of my, my main, main concerns that I see. And then also when can, people get done I with add, their hunt. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, one thing is that I struggle with sometimes is when I'm the difference between shooting my bow in the yard versus an actual in front of game when you see that elk coming through the the trees or whatever, you get buck fever. You get that yeah. that your your common sense and logic is like shut down sometimes. And I'll I'll Here. have a inter I'll have an interaction with an animal and be like, why did I do that? And oftentimes with with archery, and here's a lesson for you to to remember is that you're gonna practice all all summer, but you might have a buck come through. And you put the wrong pin on him. You put a 40 yeah. yard pin on a buck that's 20 yards away. You're like, why the heck did I do that? It's just you, there's some things that just shut down and we all hand, different hunters handle that differently. Some people can be calm as a cucumber and be fine. Others are shaken and freaking out. I was just watching Randy Newberg yesterday on YouTube, shooting an antelope. That dude is a hunting fool on TV. I, I just got to meet Randy in Montana. I like, I started following him. He's, he's really He's, 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 I like him. Yeah. He, he shot a, he, he shot an antelope and he missed the first two times and he could see him on TV just shaking and shaking and shaking. It was like, that dude's hunted way more than I have it and shot a ton of animals, but yet he is still shaking like that and going through all of those feelings. And that's why with archery, you, you kind of talk about effective range and yeah, Mm -hmm. in my yard here, I can, dial my my sight out to 100 and i can stick my elk five times out of seven last time i did it i killed that elk (laughs) i'm not doing that i'm not doing that in the field my effective range is probably 40 50 yards because i got a whole lot of other factors involved there and emotions that i'm dealing with so i totally get that with new hunters that there's so much instinctive things that take forever to learn when you're when a pheasant jumps and there's that rush of adrenaline emotion and dopamine that's just rushing through your endocrine system that impedes your ability to to make some common sense and logical decisions and until you've had the practice and had that safety ingrained in your head to say oh it's okay to let that one go i don't need to kill that animal it can go and because I'm going to shoot my dad accidentally if I shoot right there. So yeah, having exactly. that, that, that's such a important thing for folks to, to understand is you've been, you've been pulling up on animals your entire life and shooting, but that little kid, that's such a, or your wife who's never been hunting before. That's a, that's a foreign thing that just, you don't have that, that natural ability when you're a new hunter. Right. And then, and then, so the, the other thing I see with incidents too, with new hunters and that not, 
you, the archery, you know, you see them. I, I, I'm still kind of figure out, do you just go all into archery or do you go all into rifle hunting? I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out in, in, in people's heads, you know, what draws them to rifle hunting versus what draws them to archery or if they've done rifle and want to try something else. Um, but anyways, with, with a first time shooter, I always, the number one thing I always see, and I think it's instinctive or it's just, they do it. They put their finger on the trigger, no matter what that finger, instead of putting it above the trigger guard, where I, I always try to say, put your finger above the trigger guard on, on the actual stock or only put your finger on that trigger when you're intending to shoot. Okay. But no matter how many times I stress that if I take a new shooter to a trap shooting line, all I, I know what's I know what's coming. I just have to look at that finger and see right when I hand that shotgun to them where they're going to put it right on that trigger. And for some reason, I can't. It's hard to get people to stop putting their finger on the trigger unless they're ready to shoot. And that's one of the main things I do see. Un, you know, the taking an accidental discharge of their of their gun um, is another big one. Just because, like you said, that elk comes in, the excitement, whatever. Boom! They grab the rifle. They lose. They start losing the basic things they've always thought of, and it accidentally discharges. Right. The other thing I've been seeing, you know, you go to all these sports um, warehouses, sportsman's warehouse, whatever you want to call them. Um, the products that they sell now make me nervous. Like the the one I saw, the decoy that you carry in front of you when you're stalking prey with a, a with a bow. I'm like, okay, so you take a new shooter. Out in the field, he sees you coming up with this decoy. It looks like the biggest freaking turkey you've ever seen in your life. They don't see you behind it because you don't have to wear orange. You know, some of the products that people are putting out are really putting people in unsafe situations. And and that, that's tough, too, to see to see reports of somebody using, like, a new blind, like a, like a mirror blind. Those things, have you ever used one of those? A mirror blind? Yeah, I've seen, yeah, I've seen it, it, yeah. Like, yeah, it's like active camouflage. It's it's crazy how good they work, but you know if that turkey sees himself in the blind. He's going to come to it. Well, if there's a turkey hunter with a rifle 200 yards away, and you got that 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 blind up, he doesn't know. You know those are the those are the, some products out there. You got to be you just got to make sure you're you're thinking too. Hey, if I carry this decoy in front of me as I'm walking in a prairie towards a shelter belt or whatever. Is that the smartest thing I should do? You know, or, or um, use an antelope decoy during a yeah. rifle season. I mean, that's one of those exactly. things you just you you don't want to do. And the right. uh, just south just south of you right now, I had gone uh, on a turkey hunt there in a pretty popular piece of public land, and I've got a strutting tom decoy out there ten yards in front of me, and a dude comes walking by, and I'm waving my arms. Hey, I'm here. Hey, I'm here. Because if mm-hmm. he would have shot that, I was I could have been in line at some point there. Yep. <laughs> but the funny thing is, five minutes after he walked by, two giant toms walked in right to my decoys, and I shot one. <laughs> yeah. That's just the, the goofiest but, thing. But he he could have just pulled up to that. You know, he's one of those hunters maybe that drives around all day long, waits and waits. Oh, he sees something, then he pulls in, and he literally doesn't really even try hunting. You know, he just, he just gets out of his truck and hopes that, that, that I can shoot that where you was sitting there waiting, 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 waiting. And he's about ready to mess your whole hunt up. You know, that's tough too. But if you're hunting public land, you know, that's, that's kind of one yeah. of the things you got to share it with people and I'm all for it. You share it. You got to, 
I hope if I'm hunting with somebody on the same piece of land that we're there almost the same time or that I pass them as we're going in so that, you know, if I don't know who he is, I can say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be sitting in this stand over here. Let's just work with each other so that I don't mess your hunt up. You don't mess my hunt up. We're not chasing stuff away. I don't have to worry about you coming in front of my stand, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. if, if, if that's at all possible to do, you can do it. And then they also make a lot of products now. And I believe that these products will become more mainstream, like with Onyx, um, a lot of other of, of these, like Onyx took off. Like I wish I would have created that program. Just the simplest thing that they made, putting those plat books on, on a Google map. Awesome. Crazy, rich. I mean, when am I going to get that idea? Okay. We did a anyway, podcast with them, so you'll have to listen to that if you haven't. Did you? Uh, I, I'll yeah. go back and listen. Those Onyx guys are great. I, I work with them. They do a lot with our agency, a lot of government agencies. Um, but I'm hoping sometime they can put in a, a – a, add another app to it where if I have Onyx and you have Onyx and we both have a mod, we can have a, at least some kind of – to say, hey, we got a hunter that's using your app, Onyx app, and this one in the same area, be careful kind of thing, you know? Um, I hope that can are, happen. But yeah. There are apps that are out there that do that. Yeah. Already. But they're not, the, so, yeah, they're not, they're not enough yet. yeah, right. exactly. They're, they're out there. They got the product for it. You know, they got a thousand people that have been trying it. They use it and they work and they work and they work. If the problem is a lot of these startup companies just don't have the money because they're not a Remington. They're not a Vortex. They're not a, they're not a big company to, uh, to expand open and say, Hey, I got this product for safety. Well, you know, it could cost 50 bucks where I can get a new camouflage jacket. Right. That's how yeah. I think some people think where me, I'm like, the more people know that I'm in this area the better so that he's not going to accidentally walk by me. Or if I do have a decoy out there or if something's going on, then he knows, Hey, I'm not going to shoot that decoy. Cause it's, it, it is, it's a decoy. All right. But yeah, yeah that's just you, my main thing so far. The, the most fun I've had doing this tree stand is literally scouting it out, finding the spots and just saying, heck, what we bought, Clint. What, so I got two other buddies, um, two other mentors. I'm, I'm mentoring two other guys. Basically, they're mentoring me, but I call them my mentors um, yeah. or my mentees. Um, so what we did is they got these tree stands where all we have to do is buy the clip and we we can slide our stands in and out and the clips are only 20 bucks which is awesome because now we can go and we buy the we can just get the ladder system and just safely secure uh, a clip in there and then every time I won't go hunting with anybody unless they use the safety harness or or have the safety harness straps up there so you can clip in I won't I won't take anybody out or do any of that unless that I see too many too many archery hunters that fall out of their tree stand because they fall asleep because they weren't clipped in. You know, that's sad. It's, Terrible. It's a simple thing. Um, simple. And, and if you use public lands, you can see tree stands where people have been and there's no, I mean, I was out there the other day looking at these tree stands. I'm like, Oh my goodness, man, that's what you're hunting out of. I would never in a million years climb up that thing. That's that, <laughs> that looks so dangerous, but people do that. Um, so to have like a system where I can say, you know, we have five people, five people right now hunting in this zone, just watch out. You don't have to say what they're hunting, what they're doing, who they are or whatever. 
They can just be hunter one, hunter two, hunter three. And just so could, I know. And you could turn in that layer on and off. Like if you yeah, really sure. didn't want someone to know where you're at, you just sure. don't share your location. Yeah. yeah but it's just but you an can, option to share my location with nearby hunters. Yeah. Cause if you roll up to a public land, you see two pickups there, but the public land is a thousand acres. It could be anywhere. Okay. So I just hit that layer. Oh, I see Hunter one's his last, okay. You can use cookie crumbs or if he doesn't want to be seen, he can at least do like a cookie crumb the last 20 minutes of, Oh, he took a left on this path. Okay. I'm going to take a right to stay out of his way. That kind of thing. If they could, if they could start implementing that into their apps, you know, we would be, we would be a, a little bit, you know, way more safer, at least knowing where people are. Um, yeah. And because that's what you wouldn't want to get. And the first argument would be is like, Oh, I don't want anyone to see where I'm at. Well, maybe it's just within one mile radius. Sure. Just, I need sure. to know who's within one mile. And if you're well, within you're one mile, you're hunting the same ground. Yeah. You, I already know you're here because your truck's there. That's fine. I don't want to know where your, your sacred hole is. Sure. I just want to know you're here. I just want to know yeah. that I'm not 10 yards from you because you're being as quiet as, I, as you can. I'm as quiet. Your tree stands facing the other way and I'm facing this way. We're hunting next to each other. We don't even know it. That's the kind of stuff that makes me nervous. Like there's story after story after story of those, those scenarios when you had no idea (laughs) someone was above you on a hill, hill and shooting over you. There was, you just so many scenarios there, but let's, uh, let's move on. Um, we kind of mentioned before, uh, and I just named this little segment hunting cause of Corona. (laughs) <laughs> talk, yeah. talk talk to us a little bit about some of that oh this, this is a this should be a a good wrap-up topic actually clint um because no i do i'm actually back to work hunting with corona um good way to say it so i started we opened our office to our only our staff um we we opened our office last week and today is the first day that um if you weren't considered essential um which that was loosely used, I think, in our in our world. But if if you weren't considered essential, you're here today. So Derek comes walking in when I, he just got here, and he was trying to make me laugh or whatever. Um, but hunting with COVID, his world's changing a lot because what his world was was get people in as many as he can, as as you know as often as he can. Well, now he can only have 10, 10 participants, and he's considered a participant, so he can only have nine people. So in his world he doesn't like it because you know he wants as many as he can and hopes that you know you get 200 people and out of those 205 will buy it right you just kind of hope well now he's actually got to concentrate which i think is good you can start focusing in on on families and hunting but it really we've been promoting getting outdoors ever since the beginning clint um going out to our state parks taking it in and our state parks and our fishing licenses and those kind of things have been crazy busy um, our, our staff, unfortunately, we weren't able to hire interns. So a lot of our park staff is out mowing and they're not able to do a lot of their like, uh, trail maintenance, like they would normally be able to do because they're just trying to keep up on, on not having the amount of staff that we're used to. Uh, interesting to see what's going to happen this fall with COVID. Um, we're not going to change our, our tag system or, or any of that, but, like I said earlier in the podcast, we rely a lot on these pheasant hunters coming to our state. And I work at the airport and I work at Cabela's um, during pheasant season to help help our uh, the non-residents who are coming here to get information. And 
I sit at that airport and it's crazy busy. And I'm hoping we see that again, because I know at least in our state, we rely heavily and not just for hunting, but for them to come and stay at our hotels and, and come and use our resources here in South Dakota to uh, promote some of these small communities that really do rely on this, the pheasant hunting or the deer hunting. Um, I'm hoping it well, comes back. Multi, multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, among the, economy impacts and yeah you drop 70 some bucks on a pheasant license or or a small game yeah. license and or you come here and you drop 700 on a license yeah, yeah that helps a little bit but it's the guys that these guys you should see it you know the non-residents the walmart parking lots here that fill up with uh giant trucks and rigs yeah. and four-wheelers and campers and they walk into walmart and drop a crap load of money in there and they'd stop at cabela's and shields on the way and they'd get some new boots and clothes and all this stuff and the the serious amount of money that that uh is spent brought into communities yeah it's crazy brought to those communities yeah and then not to mention the guide service my gosh i i we had a fly fishing guide on just the other day that he shut down he missed uh the whole spring season before we get runoff and then the waters get all cloudy and fishing's garbage. So he missed a whole season there of his income. Yeah, and, it's and it won't it's start really up good. for another like four weeks. And then you've got spring bear seasons in other states and uh all those yeah. all those outfitters that are missing out on that. And I bet you guys have that with the maybe some of your, your fishermen fishing guides. Yeah, our fishing well, see here now, Clint, we were so busy. Cause our state didn't shut down. You know, we had a lot of border states that shut down and they came to South Dakota to fish cause they were shut oh, down. Man. They couldn't fish in their home state. So they came to our state to fish. And so we had our residents, you know, living in these smaller communities and that's, you know, this was before the protests and everything else happened. They're like social distance. We can't have these people coming in, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we, there was like, they're complaining that people are coming to their community but they didn't, they wanted them there. They just didn't want the COVID thing. And now all of a sudden it's like, where are we at? You know? Um, so it's, it's crazy. We're living in a really interesting time, Clint. And the main thing I can say is get out and do something for you and your family and shut off, shut off this, uh, crazy, the craziness, you know, sure. Keep your phone, but don't, don't log in, take some pictures of your family enjoying the outdoors and try to spend as much time out there as you can away from the hustle and bustle away from everything. So that when you're connecting with nature out in the middle of nowhere, time flies because your, your, your imagination is like when you're a kid again, um, you're exploring, you're looking for mushrooms, you're looking for anything that's out there. And that's the number one thing you can pass on to your, your kids or anybody else's, Hey, it, I mean, yeah, it doesn't have to be your kids. I have a buddy who just started getting into everything and he never stops calling me about going fishing. He called me this morning. Hey, can we go fishing today? I'm like, yeah, we'll see if we got time. But I passed that on to him and now he's hooked. So the number one thing I could say is pass on what you like to do outside and get people excited, get that imagination rolling again so that, you know, we can, we, we keep this tradition of, of our outdoor heritage rolling, you know, just because this happens that doesn't mean we can't keep it going. Yeah. That right there, I think is the perfect spot to end. Yeah. <laughs> with, with that statement said, uh, 
yeah, I think we need to end there. I mean, we're hour 10. Congratulations. You are now uh, my longest podcast episode. <laughs> Woo! And I'm going to pee my pants, man. <laughs> I know. Coffee, coffee hits you. So yep. um, thanks so much, man. I will yep. talk to you later, probably even today or something like that. So I'll let All you right, go. Sounds good, Bye. Talk to you later. Outside of this one church town, there's a gold dirt road to a whole lot of nothing. Got a deed to the land, but it ain't my ground. This is God's country.